Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to talk about a New York Times article Denise and I read and I posted on our Facebook page. We've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. It was written by Adam Grant and it's about this concept called languishing. And it discusses how a lot of us throughout this pandemic time have felt this emotion of aimlessness, of floating in this timeless space of not really knowing what's going on, where we're going, how we're feeling. It's often called the middle child of mental health because a lot of people don't really understand what languishing is. So you can check out the article on our Facebook page, but Denise and I thought it would be a nice idea to discuss how languishing can especially affect the empath. It's not burnout. It's not depression. It's not hopelessness. Languishing is just this lack of joy or ambition. It's this sense of feeling aimless. The article calls it a sense of stagnation and emptiness and claims it's the dominant emotion of 2021. What do you think about that? I think it's spot on because so many of us are on this loop tape. We're on this get up, go through the routine, do what we need to do. Some of the positive things of what we've been through, you know, being at home more, getting more time with families. I mean, we can go through the pros and cons list of this, but I love this article because it really summarized what so many people are feeling and experiencing right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. In the article, he says that in the uncertain days of the pandemic, it's likely your brain's threat detection system called the amygdala was on high alert for fight or flight. But as you learned that masks protect us and we kind of got used to this new routine of this new normal, it eased our sense of dread. But he says, as the pandemic has dragged on, that acute state of anguish has given way to a chronic condition of languish. And so the article talks about how it's kind of this feeling of not wanting to get up out of bed in the morning or not looking forward to going to work or spending hours sprawled across the couch streaming Netflix or Hulu. It's that feeling of, eh, what's the point? I think that's been, again, really prevalent for a lot of people for different, it might show up in different ways. But I found myself a few times just aimlessly scrolling stuff, not really even registering what I'm looking at. And, I, you know, sometimes I'll do that just, you've been working with people all day and you need to just shut off. You need to just do something mindless for a minute, but just that repetitive of just watching it go by kind of a feeling. It's very odd. Yeah, it is odd. The worst thing that's happened with that activity that you're talking about, just that random scrolling, every week I get my weekly screen report Mm -hmm. and it'll pop up and it'll say, your screen use is up this week. (laughs) You ever look at that? No. I didn't even know it was a thing. Oh my gosh. It's a thing on my phone and I hate it. And I'm like, there's no way I spent this much time on my phone this week. There's no freaking way. And yet I don't think my my phone's lying to me. And so I definitely understand what you're talking about with just that random scrolling. I've always been kind of weirdly proud of the way I use my phone, which is mainly to talk or text. But through this whole time, that has changed. I look at a lot of apps on my phone. I read news on my phone now more than in person, which I don't like. 
And I wonder if that could be connected to this emotion of languishing. Well, it's funny because I always, when, when my sons were little, that was like the ultimate punishment, no screen time, no computers, no TV, no Game Boys, no anything. And that was like, oh no, not no screen time. And now I've realized, I think I need to do that for myself is just step away because it can be incredibly addictive. And I think that leads to the languishing. Yeah, I do too. I think it's all connected. Well, that term languishing was coined by sociologist Corey Keyes, and it's described as the absence of well-being or not functioning at full capacity. Oh. Yeah. And I think that's hard. And one of the things they recommend is to catch yourself when you're slipping into solitude. That really hit me because this has been such a solitary year, right? Because when you're not really allowed to go out and see people, you don't know what to do. Sure. I was sitting, I met my friend for lunch. We sat outside. I hadn't seen her in six months. And we were sitting outside at this outdoor cafe and we had our masks on. And a coworker of mine that I worked with years ago walked in and I was so excited to see them. And I you know, went up to um, say hi and I caught myself because I can't hug them, you know? Mm-hmm. And the couple said, no, no, we've been vaccinated. You can hug us. And I still couldn't do it because I was like, wait, what's going on? It just feels so different. And I do think that that lack of connection of missing hugging people or shaking someone's hand or just being side by side in a movie theater or a concert. I do think all of that contributes to this feeling of solitude. Did you see in the news that New Zealand had the first post-pandemic concert with, I think, 50,000 people? Because there is no COVID in New Zealand. They've erupted. Right. And they were having this huge, and they did an interview with this musician, and he said, my heart goes out to all the other musicians because people don't understand it's not just about you know, our business, this is about what we love to do is to entertain, to bring people together. And they interviewed some of the people in the crowd that were saying, you know, that's part of the experience is to sing the same songs, to be arm in arm, to be shoulder to shoulder and enjoying that experience together. But it also gave me that glimmer of hope of, okay, it's starting to move in this direction of we will open up again. And those will be We'll move in that direction because if it's happening in New Zealand, it can happen other places as well. Oh, I hope so. I was supposed to see Snow Patrol in the fall and they had to postpone their American tour. So now I have to wait till March of 2022. Wow. But I will see Gary Lightbody in person. I will. (laughs) (laughs) So in addition to catching yourself when you slip into solitude, Uh, They also recommend that you notice when you're indifferent to your indifference. What do you make of that? Oh, I know. That's a hard one to put into words, but I know exactly what they're talking about. It's when meh becomes eh. You know, you just don't, you don't really, I must said some colorful words. You don't really care, but you don't know why you don't care. Yes. Yeah. And it's so hard for me because I, I am so healthy and happy in my head and then acting on it has been so hard during this pandemic. Like as most of you guys know, I used to walk every day with my friend 
And this pandemic has changed that, you know, because it's different. You can't really meet up and all that good stuff. So I'm like, well, nothing's stopping you from walking by yourself, Samantha. And I still manage to do it like twice a week now instead of every day. Even this morning, I set my alarm for six. I had such high hopes, Denise. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to wake up at six. I'm going to go for a long walk. Then I'll take the little dogs on their little walk. I'll get in the shower. I'll wake up the girls. I'll make breakfast. And then I get to talk to Denise in the morning. It just sounded so lovely. My alarm went off at six. I hit snooze till 7.15. So then we can go with you needed that rest to regroup. And just to validate for you, today has been a really spacey morning. So who knows? You might have gotten lost on your walk or I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But I do find that I have all these great plans. And then when it comes down to doing them so often, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I'm all right. Right. But if we're talking about languishing, it's not that same feeling as depression when you really are immobilized. Like right. depre- depression is, it's like being held hostage by that dark, by that negative, by that un- inability. This is, we still want to do it. We can figure it out. We know what we'll do to be, to, to feel better about ourselves, but we're just kind of in that, that weird lull. And don't you find that that's so much of life right now? It's like, so it's like we have a foot in both worlds of one foot where we've been and that doesn't quite fit. And we're reaching out into thin air with that other foot, trying to find a, a foothold of what do I step into? And it's this weird lull of knowing we have to restructure and redefine our lives, but not even knowing what the hell that looks like. And I feel like languishing kind of fits that feeling as well. Well, because how can you plan, right? Like I, I know friends True. who have had to put weddings on hold. Uh, graduations, proms, all this stuff, having a baby. I can't imagine having a baby during this period where your own parents can't be there, where, you know, your siblings can't come and visit. Everything has to be put on hold. You can't plan vacations. You can't plan really anything big. And so I think all of that tribute to that feeling of pause. Right. And the forced, uh, the forced isolation, the forced and and out of necessity, obviously, in a lot of places of not being able to interact. And now that's starting to open up a tiny bit. And I think for some of us, myself included, that's almost an anxiety of knowing we have to rejoin the world when we become way, way too comfortable with our isolation or solitude. Right. And that's what I'm noticing, people getting way too comfortable with that. You know, For example, my, I have teenagers, right? And I remember one day, this is like a couple years ago, we're driving in the car and my daughter's friend called her on the phone. And my daughter looked at her phone. She didn't know how to answer it because no one that age talks on the phone. And I was uh-huh. like, hit, hit the slide button. And I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it really was like a pause where she had to think, oh, I hit the slide button and then I talk on the phone. I'm noticing now with my friends my age, they're texting me more than calling me. Uh And I don't know about you, but I can't, I I feel hostage in text situations. Do you ever feel that way? Like you'll you'll text something, you see the three dots, you got to wait for them to reply then you reply, then they get called out at work. You got to wait five minutes and the text comes back in. I would much rather just pick up the phone and talk to someone. Oh, I would as well. And a lot of people feel 
slighted if you don't get back to them immediately because we have this new immediacy in all aspects of our lives. I want it now. I want your response now. Or you get back to someone. And sometimes if I'm in the middle of readings or I'm working or I'm out walking, I don't either I ignore it or I don't hear it. And I think, okay, I'll get back to that later. But it's a time factor as well is because you have to stop everything and go back and forth. Yeah, I don't like that either. Um, My sister slams me for this all the time. What I do when I'm working, I put my phone on silence and do not disturb. Mm -hmm. And very often, and maybe it's subconsciously not me forgetting, but I forget that it's on silence or do not disturb, especially if my kids are home. There's no need for me to even look at my phone, right? Because I know where they are. I've got them here and I'm working or hanging out with them. So I don't need my phone. And my sister, I have two other friends, they get really upset if they send me a text and I don't respond within 30 minutes. I don't like that pressure. What's really difficult for me is if someone isn't in in my contacts and they'll send me a note and I have no idea who they are. And I'm trying to find a tactful way to say, oh, obviously this person reached out to me, so they know me. I don't, so I have to ask, I say, I'm sorry, you're not in my contacts. Who am I talking to? Or I try to get more information from the context of the, of the text. But th- I think that's another boundary issue that's been overstepped is in the past, if you called someone, you would identify, hi, this is Denise, or hello, is Samantha. There, there would be a, almost a, a, a formality of address that would give you that social construct of how to go with the conversation. But with text, you don't have that. No, I know it. You have none of that. My kids always make fun of me. They say that they can tell a text from me from a thousand other people because I use punctuation. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I think they went off on me for five full minutes because I put periods at the end of all my sentences and text. I didn't know you're not supposed to do that, but there you have it. So yeah, that's all really hard. Then the other thing that I think contributes to this languishing emotion and especially I'm talking like the first six months of this pandemic, remember all those memes and tweets and articles about how we should be, I don't know, learning a new language or starting a new exercise regimen at home or reading three books a day. Remember that that tweet someone sent yes. out that was like, if you haven't, I don't know, lost 10 pounds, run a marathon or whatever in this pandemic, it wasn't time that was your excuse. Do you remember that? It was an awful tweet. It made everyone go, oh. And so I think there's also this added pressure of, oh my gosh, we have this extra time that we're not using commuting to work or sitting in pointless meetings. I should be making use of this time and learning ancient Greek or Sumerian and and deciphering, (laughs) you know, the the Voynich manuscript. I mean, it's like insane. And so I don't know if that's unique to America or if that's global, but I do feel this sense of you've got to go, go, go. And I think some people are feeling this kind of rebellious attitude towards that. Like, no, I'm not going to go, go, go. And, and I think there's this really soupy gray area we get into where at least this is how I am. I will force myself to relax. And then I don't even enjoy the relaxation time because I'm thinking about all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Do right. you do that? Or like all, you'll all the time. 
Absolutely all the time. Or I'll look around and say, oh, I haven't gotten to this or I really should be doing that. So that's one of my goals. And I've talked about this all year so far is trying to bring balance into my life, trying to separate aspects between you know work and personal and, and not have it all blend together. And I think that's another thing people are experiencing right now is trying to define those boundaries, especially you haven't had the luxury of being able to leave your home or leave your, your immediate circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's definitely this intense uh, pull push energy. Right. And, and there's the, everyone keeps saying going back to normal. It's gone. We're not going back. It's different. And I think that's part of this as well, is that part of this languishing is trying to figure out I didn't do the things I thought I was going to do. My life is completely different than I thought it was going to be. But with that, we've had the opportunity to do a lot of soul searching and say, okay, so what really matters in my life at this point? And I think that's where that that brink of the languishing into moving forward starts to happen. I do too. I, I, I completely agree. There's this feeling of kind of cutting away all the excess from your life and just focusing on what matters now, what's important now. Some of the things the article suggested, in, in addition to catching yourself slipping into solitude and noticing when you're indifferent to your indifference, um, they mentioned hang on to moments of delight. And in the article, he says, even if it's playing a game on your phone, if that's a moment of delight, hold on to that and feel that emotion. And then he talks about naming your emotion. So if you're mourning this loss of normalcy, that's grief, name it. If a good friend asks you how you're doing, don't say great. Say, you know what? I feel like I'm languishing. So he talks about the power in naming your emotions. And I think that's really important, Denise, especially for empaths, because we feel so much. I do think it's crucial that we learn to filter out not only whose emotions are ours and whose are not, but also what are all these emotions that we are feeling? And don't you find that when someone else validates what you're feeling and puts a word with it or says, I'm feeling this too, it really helps. It really, really helps to realize, oh, it's not just me. Other people are feeling this. This is something more going on. And when someone else can give voice to it or give it a label that you can use, it's like, oh, okay, now I, I, I'm feeling that as well. It's similar to when you and I have talked about, we'll take uh, intuitive development or mediumship classes because we want to spend time with people like us. Yes. And it's similar to our Hayoka empath show. Yes. People were so happy to know, oh, there's a name for that. And so mm -hmm. I agree, like naming it is really, really important, not only to feel connected to something more than yourself, but also just to recognize that Every emotion is temporary. It might not feel like it when you're in it, but every emotion is temporary. Joy is temporary. Sadness is temporary. And we have to learn to just ride the wave of these emotions. I know this might sound silly, but when I'm going through difficult, dark times, I always remind myself of what it felt like to be in labor. Remember when like the contractions would come in waves? Mm -hmm. And if you just learn to breathe through it, you'd be fine. And whenever I'm feeling sad or down or angry, I always think, okay, this is a contraction of an emotion, breathe through it. And I try to stay present in that emotion, even if it is sadness, even if it is despair, even if it is anger. 
or frustration or impatience or any negative emotion, I try to stay present in that emotion, name it and claim it. And it helps me release it more quickly that way. And that's so much healthier than falling into the trap of feeling guilty or feeling down on ourselves or feeling I should be able to break free from this languishing and get my stuff done. Why haven't I painted that room or, or redone that project or read that book or done the daily exercise, fill in the blank with whatever you want that to be. But I think as, as empaths and sensitive people sometimes will almost make it a negative thing that we're taking time to figure stuff out. Yeah. I think that's really important. You know, before I had kids, I used to have this one day a month where I would do nothing. I wouldn't put on a bra. I wouldn't leave the house. Just I would claim one day where I could just do whatever I wanted. If I wanted to bake bread, fine. If I wanted to sit on the couch and watch TV or read a book, fine. And then kids came and you know that went out the window. Well, now that my kids are teenagers and we're in this quarantine this whole time, I said to them, let's go back to this thing I used to do and pick one day a month where we do nothing. So obviously with kids in school, it's usually a Saturday. So we picked a Saturday. Um, I think I started this in January and we decided to binge watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Do not come at me, people. We actually ended up <laughs> loving that show. But you know what the worst feeling is when you're doing that? When Netflix goes, are you still watching? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had that pop up on your screen? I have, yes. Is that not the most like passive aggressive thing streaming TV can do to you? <laughs> I'm like, yes, you bastard. I still am sitting on this couch doing nothing but watching Buffy. Move on with your judgment. <laughs> so even TV judges for languishing. But I find that very, very helpful to just have it one day a month where you just do nothing. Um, another thing they recommend in this article is to get into states of flow. You know, those moments where you're just enjoying yourself so much that time passes. Mm -hmm. So again, it could be playing an app on your phone. It could be gardening in your yard. If it's beautiful where you live right now, it could be going for a walk or coloring or drawing or anything where you just don't look at the clock and to catch yourself throughout the day when you feel joyful. And I've, I've made myself do this, Denise, since reading this article, and it really is helpful. I feel a little silly when I do it. I don't say it out loud or anything. But if I'm just driving in the car and my kid says a really funny joke, I'll just pause a moment and think to myself, this is a happy moment. Mm -hmm. And it, that, I just have found that to be really, really helpful. Okay. So the other thing they suggest that I really want to dive into with you, Denise, schedule in uninterrupted time in your day. And so he talks about in the article, this Fortune 500 uh, study they did years ago with this company where they made all the employees, I think it was like Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, have uninterrupted hours between eight and noon. So no phone calls, no emails, no texts, no meetings. Just eight to noon, they had nothing to do but focus on work productivity soared, but also work enjoyment went through the roof as well. And this is something I've been thinking about so much because I don't have uninterrupted time anymore at all, but especially through this pandemic, because 
you know, here I am trying to work from home and I had my kids home this whole time, homeschooling or Zooming on school. And they have questions, you know, oh, mom, the canvas won't open. They kicked me out of the Zoom. My mic is off. What are the growth formations for a sedimentary rock? I mean, who knows? They were throwing (laughs) all sorts of stuff at me. And then you've got people texting and you, I mean, it's just nonstop. Do you ever think about that? Like how much uninterrupted time do you have in a day? And people will say, well, you, you know, you're older, you live alone, your kids are, it doesn't matter because if you're constantly filling every single moment with something, unlearning that behavior to learn to relax and be present and enjoy that downtime, I think you're right, scheduling it in and then really having for for some of us, myself, I'm I'm owning this as well, having to learn how to do that because it's not a comfortable thing. It's much easier to keep powering through and keeping busy and keeping on that adrenaline. And then all of a sudden that wave hits the beach and it's like, oh, what the hell do I do now? Right, exactly. And then people will email us or ask themselves, gosh, why haven't I heard from my guides or angels? Why haven't I had an intuitive hit lately? Um, why can't I focus when I meditate? I really think a lot of it can go back to that because how can your intuition speak to you if you're constantly jumping from one little fire to another? Right. You know, we need those moments of stillness, those moments of silence and un- and uninterrupted time in order to not only feel more joy, but also to feel connected uh, within and up to our our higher self and our guides and angels. So I think that's really, really important. And I, I do think it's something we all need to consider. Look at your calendar, pull up, you know, if you open up your phone, look at your calendar, how many days is on your calendar for this month that don't have a little dot on it? I, I don't have any, and, and there need to be more of those dotless days. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you, we've, we've talked about this a lot that I get up, I journal every morning. It's just part of, it's, it's, I'm very devoted to that. I would love to have that devotion in other, some other areas of my life. But I think you made a really good point a couple of minutes ago of having times throughout the day, even if it's 10 minutes, five minutes, a half hour, just to really break that spell of languishing. Well, you know, this article mentioned something, a term that I love, and it's something I've been doing my whole life. It's called revenge sleeping. And it's when you stay awake longer than you should, because your day has been so jam-packed, you're kind of like, screw you sleep. I'm going to covet and and have this little time of quiet to myself. And I never really understood why I did that, because I stay up so late almost every night. And it's not good. And I know that. And yet I still do it. And I reading this article, reading about revenge sleeping, it's really helped me understand myself because- from 10 p.m. on, that's the only time my phone isn't dinging. I'm not getting emails and texts, appointment reminders, or I'm not having kids ask me homework questions. It's the only time in my day where the house is quiet, the dogs are quiet, and I can just lay in my bed and read, journal, whatever I want to do. And so I end up staying up later, which, you know, again, not good, but I'm glad to have a name for it. Have you ever revenge slept? Uh, yes, especially if I work too late into the evening or we do a class together or something. And then 
what usually would be if you finish your day at six or seven and you're finishing it at nine or 10. And it's like, well, I didn't get to have my time in the evening. And then you tack that under the end of the day. And then it's you know, one o'clock in the morning. Right. And so. then, and then you get that second wave at one o'clock in the morning too. Right. <laughs> that can be really yeah, weird. It says go to bed before, you know, a certain hour and you're going to have more restful sleep. And, and I'm working on that right now is trying to recalibrate my sleep cycles and not doing great, but it's all a work in progress, right? Well, you know what I've noticed? And it's just been really since this pandemic started, I can't sleep at all on the full moon anymore. Oh, this past full moon, I was up till 3.30 and it wasn't a nervous up. It wasn't an anxious up. It was just like a wide awake. What should I do now? It wasn't, you know how sometimes you're up all night because you're worried about something, you're anxious for mm -hmm. something to happen or not happen, or you're going over crap in your head over and over. It wasn't that. I was just super alert and awake. And it wasn't until the next day when we were sitting in at the dining room table and I looked out at the moon and I was like, oh my gosh, yesterday was the full moon. I hadn't even registered it, which is unlike me as well, but there you have it. And I've started noticing that, that around the full moon. And I, I mentioned it to some friends and they were like, okay, sometimes with my friends, they can say like enough with the metaphysical stuff, Samantha, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to know if other people were feeling that too. Have you, have you ever experienced that? I know that dreams were off the chain with this full moon. Unbelievable. It was like going to the movies every night. But that seems to depend for me what sign the moon is in, because I've started tracking that a little bit. And some moons are more conducive to sleep than others. So, oh, was the April moon in Gemini? I think so. Well, that would make sense because I'm a Gemini. That would probably make sense then. But I've no, just noticed. No, um, this last full moon was the one we just in April would have been Scorpio. Big, big Scorpio full moon. Oh, I don't think of Scorpio as like, like a go, go, go sign. No. Unless it's in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I just literally could not fall asleep that night. It was the weirdest thing. I ended up getting three hours. You know what I do love about something that's going on with this languishing, though, is that I've been better about getting stuff done on my list, like almost stubborn about this is on my list. I'm getting it done before I go to bed tonight and getting it completed and checked off the list, whereas, oh, I'll just put it on tomorrow's list. So maybe that's good moving more towards that concept of flow that we were talking about is just getting it done, being focused trying to do it, that needs to get more consistent as well. That's really good. I have not been so good about that. I have my to-do list. I have like my work to-do list, my home to-do list, my family to-do list. And, and then there's always that extra stuff. Like I have a friend who's getting married this summer. It's a second marriage. I really don't know what to get her. She has everything. So I, I keep putting that off. I've got to come up with something unique and meaningful uh, my my termite inspection is up for renewal, like all that little shit I hate. <laughs> and I'll I'll put that type of stuff off. I don't I don't know. I'm good with the work stuff. I'm good with the kids stuff. 
but all the other stuff I tend to keep transferring to the next day's to-do list. And that, that stresses me out. It maybe adds to the languishing feeling. I don't know. But that's one of the last tips he mentions in the article to get out of that languishing thing is to focus on small goals. Mm -hmm. Don't focus on the big picture. Don't focus on the huge, big goals. Break it down into small little goals. And I do think that's really helpful. Not feeling so disjointed because a lot of the days it feels like massive ADD. Like, oh, there's a bunny. There's a kitty. Check my email. What is that? The mailman. It's like, boom, 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 boom all the time. And I think maybe reining that in a little bit could be helpful as well. Yeah, I do. I think so too. And again, I don't know if this is this, the age group I'm in or if it's this strange energy we've had for the last couple of years, but everyone I know is going through big stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I have friends who are losing parents. Uh, My parents are ailing. I have friends who have lost people to COVID, uh, who have lost people to other illnesses. I have um, a dear friend who's moving across the country this summer. Like big, big stuff. Another friend, her childhood friend is, is in a coma right now. Like everyone I know is dealing with huge, big stuff. And I have a hard time like in my head, keeping all of that in my head and being like, oh, her dad's got a big doctor's appointment next week. Don't forget to call her and see how that went. Oh, her interview for that job she's hoping for is on the third. Make sure to, you know, say a prayer for her on the night before. Like there's just so much to keep up with in terms of all my all my good friends and family members to just to just keep them in my heart. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm wording that correctly, but Everyone I know is dealing with so much shit and yes. I want to be there for everyone. And it's as an empath, you know, you just, you just want to fix it, make it better, uh, be with them, send them healing, Reiki, compassion. And it's, that feels very overwhelming. And then you couple that with this feeling of it's time to step up. It's time to step into our power. It's time to, what can I do to help? And I think as, as empaths, as spiritually based people, as just energetically, that's this new direction we're moving to is not wanting to waste any more time, but also wanting to make sure we're using our time to, whether it's be of service or, or to follow our path with more truth and authenticity. It's an interesting time to be on the planet. That's the best way I can, can put it, but it's not an easy time to be on the planet for a lot of people. No, it's not, but it's it's a really important time what we're going through. And I know for me, I've done a lot of good shadow work this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I have set some very firm boundaries in my life and I have let a lot of stuff go. And this whole time of tucking in, of quarantining, whatever you want to call it, has has given me the emotional space, the energetic space to really say, this can stay, this needs to go. And to just be really firm in that. And I don't know, respectful of all my emotions. And and I've just been able to work through a lot of, a lot of old tape. And that's been incredibly cathartic and helpful. I think out of everything we've talked about, your point about finding joy, if, if it's laughing at a joke, if it's finding joy, if it's I was walking towards the store. There was nobody around, so I wasn't. And I had my mask on. And you know how in the spring they'll put all of the hyacinths and all the flowers outside and they smell so beautiful? 
And I like lowered my mask real quick. And I took this big, deep breath of, of hyacinth. And I thought, oh, that just made me so happy. And it, I think taking the time to do that, like finding those, those little things that just make you feel like you're five years old. Yes. Well, I, you know, I love comedians. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I do at least once a day is I'll just go on YouTube and watch a five minute clip of one of my favorite comedians. That is so helpful just to change your vibration in that moment. So even if it's something as simple as smelling a flower or watching a funny person tell a great joke, those little things, they add up and they get us out of that, that state of languishing. But I also think giving ourselves permission to languish once in a while is okay too. Yes. We have to accept ourselves where we are instead of fighting it. You know, whatever you, whatever you fight is just going to keep rearing its head. And so if you are feeling a little aimless, if you are feeling a little joyless, I, I don't know. I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained in anything. But for me, what has helped is not resisting it and instead just naming it, identifying it, and and just saying, okay, you're my little friend today. I'm going to sit with you and you tell me what you need to tell me. Why are you why are you popping up? Little negative emotion. What do, what do you have to teach me? And that has helped a lot. Yes. And and realizing that this too shall pass. Yes. Because it always does. Mm-hmm. It always does. And it might not pass. I mean, look, if, if someone listening to this is going through grief from losing a loved one, that's not going to pass. I no. mean, you can read all the books you want on grief. I, I don't think that passes. If you are grieving the loss of a marriage, a friendship, a job, I don't think that passes either. It lessens. We learn to carry it. It's like if you're carrying a suitcase in one hand and it's so heavy, you can't walk anymore. Well, you might learn to buy another suitcase and divvy it up and hold one in each hand so it lightens the load, but you're still carrying those suitcases. But that moment of that intensity, that does pass. And we do grow and we get stronger and we learn how to carry all those emotions with us. This is such a trivial, terrible example, but it's all that's popping into my head. So listen with, I don't know, brevity for me. <laughs> when I was in high school, I had acne. I, it was so bad. I had to go on Accutane. And I remember it was right around that time that I first read Louise Hayes' You Can Heal Your Life book. And mm -hmm. in there, she says that acne is a lack of self-love. And I was like, well, shit, you know, that's not good. So I remember every time a new pimple would pop up on my face, I would say, welcome, welcome to the club, little friend, enjoy your stay. <laughs> I swear the more I did that, the more my skin cleared up. And I oh. think if we do that, oh, I hear that in that, hmm, <laughs> Samantha <laughs> is losing it. No, but really. No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. No, I just think it's an interesting concept, especially as a kid, as a young teenager, to have that realization and saying, I'm just going to welcome this and see what happens. I think that's very insightful. Well, I was a weird little kid, and I really believed in what Louise Hayes wrote, but it definitely helped because I was like, okay, this is, this is who I am in this moment, and I've got Retin-A and Accutane, and I'm working on it, and in the meantime, welcome. You know, you're a part of me. You're on my face for the whole world to see. Welcome. 
And I swear, I'm, I'm sure it's the Accutane that cleared up my acne, but I swear doing that helped in that process. And I've tried to take that message to, you know, all of my emotions as well. Welcome. Enjoy your stay. Don't let the door hit you. You know, I'm kidding, but you no, know. But, no, but that's, that's a huge premise of a lot of Louise Hay's initial work was on mirror work of looking yourself directly in the eyes in the mirror and saying, I love you. I really, really love you. There's volumes written about how she said how difficult that is for most people to hold their own gaze in the mirror, to say those words and start to believe them. And she says, you do that over and over and over until you really start to believe it and feel it. But yeah. mirror work is huge for people. I don't think I ever told my pimples I loved them. <laughs> <laughs> but I do try to love all of my emotions. And I think as empaths, it's really crucial that we do that because you can't you can't bring anything in the shadows into the light until you do that, you know, until you embrace them. Right. And so I think part of this languishing energy that so many are feeling this year is, is going to involve welcoming that and sitting with it, journaling about it, or just processing it, and then knowing that it will pass. Maybe even redefining what does bring you joy. Mm, say some more about that. You mean like it might switch during this time? Right. It might be that some of the things that you felt you had to do or were supposed to do or needed to do are the things that need to be released so that you can start doing what you really want. And I'm not saying, oh, leave the job, leave the marriage, leave the this. I'm saying more about those personal, when you were talking earlier about carving out those little times during your day or that me time or whatever you need. And if it means getting up 15 minutes earlier or staying up 15 minutes later at night, but maybe saying, well, what, what will really, like putting yourself at the front of the list, what will really bring me joy right now? What will I, what have I not done in a long time that I'd love to do? Yeah. And asking that without judgment. And if it's a right. 1990s show about vampire slayers, rock on sister friend. <laughs> Well, I hope this has given you guys some food for thought. We'd love your feedback. If you've experienced this emotion of languishing or have any more to add about it, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or Facebook us where you can find us at Enlightened Empaths. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend or take a moment to leave us a kind review. We hope you guys have a wonderful week. Please remember, as always, to show up, do good work, and share your light. Take care.